Welcome to weekly messages from the pulpit of Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill. Find out more at gracewaydc.com. In our series so far, we've seen Joseph face some difficult testing, but Joseph's trials are not the end of his story. God has a road to restoration and repentance, and it has these four stops. God removes comfort, reveals character, revives conviction, and then restores communion. Listen closely to Pastor Brad Wells and some powerful testimonies about forgiveness in this message called Pardon is a Decision, Part 2, The Road to Repentance. Take your Bibles, if you would. Let's go to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter number 42. We're looking at the amazing, incredible life of one of the world's greatest leaders. His name is Joseph. And we're in a series, and we've been developing uh, this character sketch of Joseph. As a matter of fact, we've talked about several different tests initially. I outlined 10 separate tests that we would be teaching through. However, we've already added two more tests that I didn't see in preparation, and and that's okay. The Lord's leading us as we go. And honestly, um, it is a privilege to look at this magnificent biblical character. Uh, What strikes me and is so amazing is Joseph does not come from what we would consider a biblical family or this whole, wonderful, uh, unified family. Uh, He comes from trouble. Actually, before the whole dot-com era, trouble.com is where you would find Joseph. And he... um, his, his father was very deceptive. The roots of his own marriage are lies and manipulation. Then he ends up having four wives, I guess two wives and two concubines or servant girls or something. And, and then there's 12 brothers. And these 12 brothers don't get along. As a matter of fact, Joseph is so hated that his brothers say, let's murder him in the field and let, let's tell dad the wolves ate him. But then Reuben, the older brother, says, well, let's not murder him in the field. Uh, let's, let's throw him in the pit. And then Simon says this and Reuben says that. And, and then here comes some slave traders going down the road. And they said, hey, Let's not just let him die in the pit. Let's let's sell him to the slave traders. And they sell him to the slave traders. And so we looked at all sorts of different things that he has went through. The first thing, um, the dream really revealed God's purpose in his life. And that pit showed the disappointment, but God's plan. And then he went to Potiphar's house and he learned duty and prosperity has nothing to do with what humanity gives you, but rather, is God with you or not? And that's one of the main things we should wrestle wrestle with. In the middle of that, he went from slave to head of the head of the home there, just right under uh, Potiphar, the master of the house. And his desire or his purity was tested, and the wife of Potiphar turned her eyes on Joseph. But Joseph was a a righteous man and ran and fled. 
from uh, illicit desire, and um, he was falsely accused, and he was thrown into the next test, which was the dungeon, the pit, and that taught him patience, and he was in that dungeon for two full years, and then in a day, <laughs> he would just had time to shave, which a lot of our men don't do in No Shave November. And you got to be patient with me, okay? I've got a little bit of this. It's not just a dirty face. This is actually facial hair, okay? It's not much, but that's what we got. And uh, anyways, Joseph shaved, put on a new coat. And there's a funny thing about coats right throughout the, uh, right throughout the story. He loses his coat, but he retains his character. And, and that's what we've got to do. Make sure we hold on to our character. And he is uh, risen up to distinction and promise. And um, God blesses him. We showed how God delivers, how God gives dominion. And now we're in lesson number 10, which is not our finish, but it's very close to our finish. Part two of pardon, the test of pardon. Pardon is a decision. And we're talking today about the road to repentance, if you're taking notes. The road to repentance. Yesterday, uh, yesterday, last Sunday, we showed something very significant. The names of Joseph's two sons are included in the text. They have the translation of to forget and to be fruitful. Ephraim and Manasseh. And God says, uh, because Joseph has forgiven his brothers, he can use him. And he, he came to the point where without meeting his father, without seeing his brothers, he is able to forgive them. There was no repentance. He didn't even see them. And that's kind of a foreign concept. How can I forgive somebody that has not repented? And we actually taught that last week just to bring us up to speed. How can I forgive somebody that has not repented? Well, first off, I was forgiven in salvation. Remember Jesus on the cross, before anybody ever confessed or repented, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what, to do, what they do. They were still murdering him, and he already forgave. While they were beating his back, while they were driving those nails, he was thinking about you and me. And forgiveness is found in Christ, both for those soldiers and the thief that was, well, either one of the thieves, but only one received it and the other did not. And so forgiveness is found in Christ and then secondly, we showed that I must forgive others if I'm going to come into my destiny or my sanctification, what God has called and designed me for. And how does that happen? What is the granular details of how do I forgive? Well, I must agree with God, and you must agree with God. And we had that beautiful illustration by the Lord Jesus that it was 10,000 talents uh, of, of one man's debt that was forgiven. But then he went out and, and incarcerated somebody else that just owed him about three and a half months' wages. And it's just a, an amazing thing what 
what God has forgiven us, but what we hold people hostage and demand ransom from them over. And then I gave four points, and that was we must act in faith. How does that happen? And the first one was I've got to just decide. Forgiveness is a decision. It comes from the will, not our emotions. If you try to conjure up the right emotions to forgive somebody, you're not going to get there. You've got to decide. And then you've got to declare it. You've got to verbalize it. Uh, Romans chapter 10 speaks of salvation. We've got to confess with our mouth. That was five of us, so we've got to declare. And I would encourage you to speak it with your mouth and declare it. I forgive dad. I forgive mom. I forgive my brother. I forgive my sister. I forgive my children. I forgive my cousin. I forgive my boss. And that releases. When you forgive, two prisoners go free. One of them's you. And then I discipline. I discipline my mind, replacing those negative feelings that are passive with positive actions and affirmative thoughts. I have forgiven, not I do forgive again, or I might forgive. No, I have forgiven. And then I depend upon God. Those four little decide, declare, use discipline, and depend on God. See, forgiving somebody, it's not that it's hard. It's impossible. We cannot do that as humans in our own flesh. I can't do it. You can't do it. But the power is in the cross. All of that was last week. Everybody get it? Got it? Good. Excellent. Genesis chapter 42 begins the process to repentance. Now, God leads us to repentance. God led me to repentance. God will lead you to repentance and everybody around us. Many times, instead of working together with God, which is what every Christian is called to do, we start trying to fight what God's doing. And we start rising up and defending our spouse, our children, our parents, our co-workers, our fellow citizens, all these different things. What we have to do is agree with God. So God leads to repentance by four specific things. And this begins in Genesis 42, verses 1 through 7. Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look one upon another? I think that's significant that he says that. It's not just a little colloquial insult that all fathers give their kids. I think there's something significant in that last phrase. But we're not going to develop that today. And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence, that we may live and not die. That's a good reason. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, and by the way, the, 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 the wife of, uh, the mother of Joseph had just two boys, Joseph and Benjamin. And the other 
Uh, ten sons came from the three other wives. Uh, but Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren. For he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn. Among those that came for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over all the, over the land, and it was, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, from the land of Canaan, to buy food. Father, we come before you, and we submit and admit our total dependence upon you. Lord, this is your word. I believe it is true. It is able to change us, to rescue us, to direct us, to give us light, to illuminate the darkest darkness of our own hearts. And Father, we ask that you would rescue us, that you would save us today. Save us from unforgiveness. Save us from vengeance. Save us from stopping you, inhibiting you from leading people to repentance. Lord, we need your hand. We crave your light, your touch, so, Lord, work in our hearts. Speak to us. Speak through us. Guide our minds. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Now, God leads to repentance. God wants me and you and everyone. God is drawing the whole world to repentance. God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. God wants to save everyone. You'll never meet somebody that's still alive that God doesn't want to save. Every time that heart beats, every time those lungs fill with oxygen, every time those, that brain is filled with all that electricity of all those neurons and all those signals going, we can't even measure it. We can't even comprehend it. That is God saying, I created you. I designed you for myself. And he's leading us to repentance to himself. But there's a struggle and there's a war going on. And I want my own way. And I'm not going to go your way. And I feel that same thing you feel. And the whole world feels that. We feel exhilarated in rebellion. We all do. Romans 2 presents God as the one drawing us into repentance. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, especially verse number 4. And those of you that study the law, I would encourage you to read through the book of Romans. It is, I believe... Uh, the world's best document written on, on law, speaking of law meaning uh, the Torah and its application to the redemption of man. 
by one of the greatest minds the world has ever seen, Apostle Paul. Genesis, uh, Romans 2, verse 1 says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever, uh, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them that do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Verse number four, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? Let's read this out loud together. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. In other words, God is declaring we can't be hypocrites and judge everybody else and do the very same things that we're condemning everyone else about. But we need to realize that God in good will is drawing us into repentance. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is the next verse, verse 5. But after thy hardness and impotent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of, of the righteous judgment of God. In other words, we're heaping to ourselves, we're valuing the very things that are going to destroy and condemn us. Who will render to every man according to his deeds? To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. Verse 11 is simply saying, that God is not going to evaluate or have some sort of prejudice, whether positive or negative, with any man. Humanity is all the same before him. And God is no hypocrite, but he is righteous. God is holy. So how does God lead to repentance? And number one, I want you to write this down. The first one is by removing comfort. In Genesis chapter 42, the first seven verses, we see that there is a famine that comes into the land. And Israel, Joseph's father, they're starving. And they heard probably from caravans and other people talking about, where, where are you guys going? Well, we're going to Egypt. And so, they hear there's corn, there is grain, there is sustenance in Egypt. And they say, okay, we can't just stand here and look at each other. There's nothing for us to do. Let's go to Egypt. You know what God does when he's drawing people to repentance? He removes the comfort of their life. God uses hunger. God uses want. God uses need. And God allows the destroyer to come in, in measure, to remove the blessing and the comfort of the people he's drawing to repentance. 
Think of the prodigal son. Jesus told the story. Here's the father. He's wealthy. He's got two sons. The younger son says, give me mine inheritance before you die. <laughs> and the father, no, 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 give it to me. And he takes that inheritance and he goes into the, the far country and he wastes his substance on riotous living, living like just a heathen. And the father just stays there at the house. And eventually that prodigal son is brought down to the worst of states and then is brought back to repentance. That's the story that Jesus told. Think of Jonah. Jonah is commissioned and sent to Nineveh, that great city, to cry against it. But instead of going there, he flees. He goes down to, uh, to get a ship and go to Tarshish. And God takes away his confidence, and God takes away his family, and God takes away his friends. And finally, the people rise up, even as Jonah said, and throw him in the sea. And the only thing he has is the terror of this great fish, this whale that swallows him down. And all of these things are drawing him to repentance. The story of Ruth and Naomi. It's a beautiful picture of, of Israel and the Gentile world and how God is bringing people throughout the world to him. But in Ruth chapter 1 and verse number 21, it says, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again. How? Empty. When you leave God, when you leave the place of blessing, when you leave the place that God's placed you, no matter how good it might sound in the mind, no matter how reasonable it might sound, comfort is removed. And all of that is to bring us to the point of repentance. Now, if you're taking notes, you've written down the very first thing that God does. He removes comfort. But you know what the reaction that a lot of parents have is to deliver. The wrong response is to step in and shield and block and deliver. And you don't notice that this is the hand of God working through some famine or something. And you deliver. The father of the prodigal son wasn't supposed to send money to the prodigal. He wasn't supposed to chase his son down and say, do you have everything you need? No, he was supposed to let him come down to nothing, to where he's sitting in sinking into the, the pig slop. And he's so hungry, he wanted to steal the food from the hogs. <laughs> and he said, what am I doing? And the Bible says specifically, he came to himself. Many times we're so proud and so arrogant. We miss the thing right before us. And God is saying, you have left the place of my blessing. And so parents, when your kids make a wrong decision, when there's rebellion in their heart, allow God to remove the comfort. Now, here's the right response. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And if you have your Bible there, you can turn with me, 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And verse number 20 says this, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Verse 21 shows us there is a responsibility that each one of us has to clean ourselves, to sanctify ourselves, 
to separate ourselves from some things and for some things. Anyways, purge himself from these. He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. That's our theme this year, making a difference. How, do, how does this happen? Where, what are the details? Verse 22, flee also youthful lust. But follow righteousness. So flee from some things, follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That's what we must maintain. But foolish and unlearned questions, whoa, avoid those. Knowing that they do gender strifes. It's just arguments and fightings and we'll never get to the bottom of it. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, Patient. Now, tune in right here, verse 25. In meekness, instructing those, and what does it say? That oppose themselves. See, that is what Joseph's family had done. They are opposing themselves. That's what you and I do in every sinful situation. We're opposing ourselves. Meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If who? If God, peradventure, will give them what? Repentance. God gives repentance. When you feel a desire to get right, right, when you feel a desire to confess and you feel drawn to God, it's God that's drawing you. Don't resist God. Now, friend, you can. You can. Mm, mm. That's you're opposing yourself. Uh, peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. That's what repentance is. I acknowledge the truth and that they may what? Say it, recover themselves. There is an element of recovery. Repentance is recovering yourself out of, say it, the snare of the devil. My friend, the devil has a trap. Think of a bear trap. Think of those giant iron teeth that snaps closed upon that prey and holds him captive. He's unable to free himself. But it's God that says, stop opposing yourself. I will grant you repentance if you will acknowledge the truth. And then if you acknowledge it, you recover yourself out of the snare of the devil. And those that are in the snare of the devil, are taken captive by him, the devil, at his will. Listen, the devil has power. Only in Christ do we have overcoming power. Only as we yield to the Lord. Only as every morning we use the key of faith and prayer to unlock the day. And only as before we get into bed, we use prayer to lock the night and the temptations out of our heart. And you can be safe if you pray and use that key of prayer and safety. So the first thing is God removes comfort. Now, back to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis 42. Is everybody still with me? We went to two or three different scriptures here, but Genesis 42, we're going to develop chapter 42 a little bit. I want you to notice, jump down to verse number 17. I want you to notice, first off, he speaks roughly to them. He says, you were spies. 
in verse number seven, he made himself strange unto them. And he spake roughly unto them in verse number seven. He says, where are you guys coming from? And then look at verse number 17. And he put them all together in ward three days. That is, he put them in jail under a, at least house arrest here. Jump down to verse number 24. What is going on in his heart? Is he an angry man? And he turned himself about from them and he wept. The tears of Joseph are an amazing study. Here's this man. For years, vengeance could have been growing in his heart. Now he's at this great pinnacle of power. The second highest in the, in the world. But he doesn't lash out and destroy his brothers that tried to destroy him. He speaks roughly. He puts him in the jail for three days, or at least under house arrest for three days, in ward three days. Then he brings them out, and he hears them, and he sees them, and he turns himself, and he weeps and cries. And in verse 24, he comes back again. He turned to them again and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. What is he doing? He's removing this comfort. Now, listen. When wrong is done, comfort must be removed. Discipline is necessary in parenting. Don't say, well, I'm always going to be the good dad and the, or the good mom, and, and I'm only going to do good. Listen, God disciplines his kids, and we want righteousness. We want honesty, and if somebody will speak the truth, they can recover themselves. Removing comfort is our first point. Let's go on to our second point. Obviously, we could develop that a lot more. The second point I want you to jot down, what does God do? How does God lead to repentance? By revealing character. Revealing character. Now, let's look at the next three verse, uh, next few verses, starting in verse number eight. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. Joseph recognized him. And he knew Simeon, and he knew Reuben. Do you think he remembered the pit? I mean, he named his son, I forgot. But I think he remembered right then. Do you think he felt those feelings? Do you think maybe his hand trembled, his cheek twitched just a little bit? Have you ever felt just rage come up in your heart? How many of you know what I'm talking about there? Joseph knew his brethren. They didn't know him. They're like, <laughs> Joseph. <laughs> Verse number nine. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them and said unto them, Ye are spies, to see the nakedness of the land are ye come. And they said unto him, Nay, my Lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. Joseph said, that's what they all say. And he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land, ye are come. They said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. 
Here, Joseph is trying to find their character. Now, the wrong response when God is trying to reveal character in anybody is to defend the offender. Now, Joseph is not rising up to their defense. He's actually playing the accuser. These people had done great things, and Joseph is being used of God to test them. He's asking about his father. He's asking about his brother. What would that be testing? Their honesty. Remember, the whole thing had been hatched under envy and dishonesty. Later on, he will give the, the silver, uh, return their silver to their bag. And later on, he'll put his silver cup in there. What's that? Greed. They were envious. They were greedy. And he's testing them. They were very manipulative. They were eat up with, with jealousy. And so Joseph tests them. Let's look at this. Jump ahead. It's a, it's a big portion, but verse 25 And Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money into his sack and to give them provision for the way. And thus did he unto them, and they laded their asses with the corn and departed thence. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the inn, he espied his money, for behold, it was in his sack's mouth. And and he's talking to his brothers, what in the world is going on? And he said to his brother, my money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack. And, in, and their heart failed them. And they were afraid, saying one to another, what is this? And here's the key, that what? That God hath done unto us. And my friends, it is true. God did this to them through Joseph. And God is revealing their character. The wrong response is to rise up and defend the offender, to make excuses for their behavior, to blame God or others for how they turned out. Now, if you want a master class on how to blame another, there are many available. There's a list out in the hallway. You can read these books. It'll tell you all about how to blame your father and your mother and your siblings. And Joseph wrote them. I blamed, no, no, no. Humanism, the worship and the deification of man. My desires, what I want, says it's everyone else's fault but mine. But God brings the focus back to the individual and say, you, says you are responsible. You've got to get right. And it's not because God just wants to destroy and, and punish. No, no, no. God wants to remove comfort and reveal character to restore. See, Joseph's dream was not just about Joseph. And Egypt was not the end goal. The end goal was a nation, a mighty nation to come out and receive the laws of God that would go out to all the world, that would would birth the Messiah into the land. And all the world would hear of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, that came and spilled his blood to redeem. But in order to do that, we didn't just need Joseph, the good guy. We needed these 11 brothers who were a bunch of yahoos to get right and get things restored, to repent. And fathers, God wants to use you, but it's not just you. And mothers, it's not just you. 
It's all of us. And God works through families and God works through homes. That's why discipline and restoration and encouragement and integrity and accountability is absolutely vital. We are not islands unto ourselves. God has placed us into families and into homes and we fail and fizzle on our, on our own. And in isolation, we need accountability. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need accountability too. I need accountability. I do. I need accountability to be what God wants me to be. Now, here's the right response. Quickly, let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Don't let the energy wane. Help me out. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And I want you to see the right response given by God. And verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. Here's all the workers there in the church. For the perfecting of the saints. That's what God wants. The completion, the maturity of the Christian believer. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come unto the unity of the faith and of the knowledge, the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of fullness of Christ, that henceforth we be no more children, that is immature, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and the cunning, craft, cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love. Remember our first point in 2 Timothy was delivering yourself from the snare by acknowledging the truth. Here it is again. But speaking the what? The truth in love may grow up unto, uh, into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. In verse number 16, from whom the whole body is fitly joined together and uh, compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. God reveals character to draw us in so that we might acknowledge the truth and come to repentance. So the wrong thing is to deliver. The wrong thing is to defend. Let's go on to our third point. The third point, jot this down as we go to Genesis 42. Reviving conviction. There's the reviving of conviction. Verse number 21 through 24, we see what God is starting to do. And it says, and they said to one another, we are very, very what? Guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. That has to be the pit because they sold him to the slave traders, and he was gone. They never saw him again until now. So he must have been crying to them from the pit. Remember, he's just 17, and these are big men, 40, 45, 50 years old. Reuben was, but we would not hear. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against this child? 
and you would not hear. Therefore, behold, his blood is required. See, God is revealing and reviving this conviction in their heart. And they knew not, they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. And he turned himself about from them, and what did he do? He wept and then returned to them again and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. What is going on? Joseph, he is emotionally distraught. Instantly, I think, he had already forgiven them. He had already forgiven them. He wanted to say, I'm Joseph, I forgive you. But God was doing something greater. It's not just about Joseph. It's not just about me. It's not just about you. God's doing something to unite a great force to do something more than we could ever imagine. And you are an intricate part of that. I believe that God is using us at our little church, Graceway on Capitol Hill, to do something great. God wants to use you. God wants to use me. And I'm not sure what part I am. I'd like to be Joseph there, but I don't want to be Joseph earlier. <laughs> He revives this conviction. You know what the wrong response is? We said in the first point, it's to deliver. In the second point, it's to defend. Now in the third point, it's to deny. And a lot of, a lot of people in the midst of conviction, conviction comes up again. What about that problem? We deny it. And we're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Second Corinthians chapter 7. In just a second, we'll have a testimony here, but 2 Corinthians chapter 7, look over here. Everybody following my story here? It's not my story, it's our story. This is God is showing us. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse number 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter, and this is Apostle Paul writing the church at Corinth about sin, specifically a very proud, arrogant, sinful man that was living in sexual immorality in the church. And Apostle Paul said, Apostle Paul said, kick him out. And they kicked him out. And then he got right. And then Apostle Paul is saying, restore him. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. And underline those three words, sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. There is a, there is a, a repentance that's worthless. And it's the repentance where you're not sorry for what you did. You're sorry you got caught. And those are the people that become smarter thieves and more powerful villains. Look at verse number 10. But for godly sorrow worketh to repentance, to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. There is a pity, a self-pity, a sorry I got caught, woe is me, that's actually destructive. 
For behold, this selfsame thing, when ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. Revenge. This is not revenge against a person, but revenge against the sin. That's why a man that God had delivered from alcohol started alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous. That's why people that have been recovered and rescued from a sin often start ministries to take vengeance on that sin because everybody else is like, what's the big deal? This is great. Let's go. And they're saying, whoa, I just came out of that trap. Don't go in there. What are you doing? Revenge. Yea, in all these things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered the wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. God says, I want you to know that I am holy and that I am loving and that I'm drawing to ref- you to repentance. And God does this in everyone. And this year, as we're looking at God, how can I make a difference? God, preserve us a nation. Oh, Lord, help us. And we go to the voting polls this next Tuesday, and, and God, preserve our nation. And Lord, give us uh, men and women that, that hold uh, eternal and biblical values dear and, and the sacredness of life and the sacredness of God's creation. Oh, God, help us. Realize that God is drawing people and groups and nations to repentance. And God does that by removing comfort, revealing character, and reviving conviction. I want you to just shift a little bit in your seat. And uh, Brother Joe, would you come give your testimony for us, sir? Yesterday I was going through a box in my office and it had some photos that go back uh, 20 plus years. And there's some highs and lows as I'm looking through that. Uh, Two days ago, Brother Brad asked me to give a testimony uh, dealing with forgiveness, and it was like going all the way back 30 years ago, um, a lot of highs and lows. It began when I was uh, 10 years old. Um, you know, my dad was the the greatest Christian that I knew and can still compare him today to some of the greatest Christians that I know. Um, and he was, I mean, the ultimate blessing to any kind of pastor. He was a successful businessman. He, um, you know, drove a bus, preached junior church, would preach when pastors out of town, led singing, and above all that, he, he was one of the greatest owners. He brought people to church all the time. He just was a, a, a great, uh, I mean, uh, a hero. And through a number of, of different things, um, I can't give it all just for time. Um, when I was 10 years old, I remember going to my mom saying, hey, where's dad? And she just said, he's with those uh, Lompoc people. That was a, a town 30 minutes from us. And uh, it was years before I saw him again. And when I did, he had a, I mean, he, he had preached in junior church, you know, we don't drink booze. And he, he would just go through all these different things. And uh, that, last time I saw him, he had a bottle in his hand. And he was trying to kind of manipulate my mom to, to do different things or help him in some way. And uh, it just devastated our family. Is, uh, my older sister, she's five years older than me. Um, so I was 10. She was uh, about 15. Younger brother was nine. 
younger brother than that, who was uh, four years old. And so, but we all just closed down. And there was a lot of, of hurt, a lot of bitter, bitterness and struggle through, through my teenage years with all that, with some of my friends go to over to their house and they've got their mom and dad together. And it just was like salt on that wound. Um, and it really wasn't until uh, college that uh, God really began to help me get the victory um, uh, over that. And really just, I, I, I really just, uh, I wanted to be over. I wanted to be done. It had been at that point close to 10 years since all that had transpired. And I remember my, my, my mom let me know, hey, your dad's back. He's, uh, we're trying to make this thing work. And I was like, okay. Um, and they came up to visit me at college. And I remember he, uh, struggling saying, you know, I want to tell my dad that I forgive him. Um, he had shown no repentance, no anything really. Um, just a lot of disappointment coming and going uh, through, the, through those years. And when I told him that I forgave him um, tried to, and hugged him, he said, you know, I knew you'd come around. And that was like the, the biggest dagger. And I could just feel in my toes just that, all that anger rising back up. And but the Holy Spirit at the same time said, don't let this take over. And, and just pushed it back down. And, and not that I was trying to suppress, but I was just like, you know, God, I, the devil, I'm not going back there. I don't want to live and, and be that way. And it was able to get, you know, uh, try to move, move past that. Um, but then there were new wounds. And later, uh, you know, moving forward, uh, we, we were married with, with, with kids and, and, uh, um, I tried to help my dad. He, he struggled with, with drugs uh, quite a bit. He, um, he, he had had some stuff back in Vietnam that, that affected him. He was clean, got saved for a while, uh, but then he fell back into that. And so I'm trying to help him out. Now we've got three kids. I'm trying to help him get to a place. And he, he, he let me help him. He stayed with us. I helped him get some things financially set. And then he just got mad at me for trying to control his life. And I, and I was, and I was trying to, and it was just like new wounds. Like I opened up my home, opened up my life, opened up my heart. And here you are again, uh, uh, accusing me, but yet there was new grace that God gave and just had to let it go. And, and really I, I wanted to forgive, but I wanted to forgive and keep him over there. I didn't want to allow him to hurt me again or impact me again. And but and the whole thing, that wasn't right. That wasn't right. And but I struggled with where where are the boundaries? How does this actually work? And then um, I was going through. I think I don't know if we moved or whatever. I was going through some boxes and I found you know uh, a high school uh, my yearbook. But in, in the back of my yearbook was kind of an autograph uh, um, uh, pages that I put in there. And I kind of gone through and saw some of my friends and all of that. And I was flipping through. And in the back, my dad had written me a note when I was 18, and I don't remember ever seeing it. And he had asked me to forgive him. And I didn't see it for 20 years. Um, and it was just a reminder as I was you know, studying Joseph and reading through that, you know, Joseph dealt with this his whole life. He was 17 when he went to Egypt. When his brothers showed up, he was 39 years old. 
And then later on when his dad died and it kind of came back up and he was 57. I mean, it was decades and decades of dealing with all this. But what God showed me through this was that, as Pastor Rabbit just, just bring up how the, the first thing that happened when they when he showed, showed up in Egypt, they went back to what, it's what we did to Joseph and how the guilt outlasts the pain. Joseph had gotten victory and he had seen some great things happen. Um, and forgiveness is, was my opportunity to, to show God's grace, um, not just for my dad. I, I, got, I have an older half-brother, a younger half-brother. Um, it was an opportunity for me to show grace to them. What, my family's just a complete mess up and down. All my, my mom's, uh, uh, all her sisters are divorced. She was separated and divorced. Um, my dad's family was a mess. Um, but all of this, you know, my mom kept us in church and I remember listening to preaching and I made decisions as a young teenager. I want something better. And through all of this, it was just, it was leaning into preaching and leaning in to God's will that helped me see. And now I've got, you know, brothers who are in various places in their life, a sister in various places in her life, who, who see me and say, why would you forgive him? Why would you try? But yet I'm seeing them in their lives as God's working in over here and over there, how they've been able to build bridges back. And we're never going to have this picture perfect home. Um, as far as a, a, my extended family, but God's allowed us through forgiveness to, um, I guess, have a testimony uh, within our family, within our extended family, and even with others around us to see, you know, when you when you trust the Lord, it it brings about this truth that you would you never imagine. Um, the family, the wife I have, the family I have today, I have because I determined in my heart. As a, as a young teenager, I don't want that. God, what would a good home look like? And just doing whatever it took to go that direction. And I'm far from perfect. We've messed up so many times. And God has um, helped us pick up and, and keep going. But um, I just thank the Lord for, um, for, for the examples we have in Scripture, but the examples around us. Joe, thank you for sharing your heart with us. I just have one little small conclusive thought I want to give you, and I didn't want you to suffer there in anguish in our small little white chairs. There's one last point I want to give you, and Joe, thank you for, for that testimony. First off, we saw God removes her comfort. Then God reveals character. Then God revives conviction into our heart. And the fourth thing I want you to remember and jot down as God restores communion. That's what God wants to do. God wants to restore communion. Reinstate that fellowship and bring people back together. The end is not, oh, you did me wrong. You did me dirty. I'm done with you. No, that's not the end. It's the end. God wants to bring everything back. Just have a seat here, and I want to show you Genesis chapter 50. If you would, just take your seat there. Genesis chapter 50. As Henry VIII said to his sixth wife, I won't keep you long. <laughs> Genesis chapter 50. I want you to see verse number 17. 
Israel, that is Joseph's father, Jacob, had died. There was a great funeral throughout all the land. There's a big national mourning and memorial. His jo- uh, Joseph's brothers were panicked. So they sent an embassy to Joseph, the prime minister, and said this to the embassy. So shall you say unto Joseph, forgive. Now that's very significant, that word forgive. Last week we did a little description of what forgive means. Just notice it says give. That's key. It's a releasing. I'm not holding on to this. I'm giving. But that's the first time forgiveness is mentioned in all the book of Genesis. The first time in the Bible forgive is mentioned. It's in the last chapter, Genesis 50. Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of thy servants, of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. You know, God does want to restore. God wants to do something great. Last week we had a miracle. The first year we started Graceway, a young Marine came. And uh, within a year or two had gotten his degree and, and transitioned into an officer. It's called Mustanging Up and became a lieutenant and began to grow and develop and just an amazing guy. And I really didn't know the struggles that he had went through in his life, really. And later, a few years later, he was transferred out to California, continued his work there, serving God and country and making a difference with our nation. And he heard a sermon that we preached here at Graceway on forgiveness. Brother Bobby, it was the same message that you referenced last week when you closed in prayer. And he heard that message and God God convicted his heart that he had not forgiven his father. You see, his father, he had not seen since he was about five years old. His father had a problem with anger. And his mother had taken him and his sister and fled and had some problems. And so our young man in the story grew up and never saw his father again until January 1st of this year. And he flew in from California. We prayed at my dining room table the last few hours of 2021. He got in his rental, drove to his father's house. He had not seen him since he was five years old. He said, Dad, I forgive you, and I love you. And I have a wife, and I have a family, I've got, I think, eight kids. I got eight kids. And his dad's 
He said, Dad, would you help me? We're going to be moving from California back to the D.C. area. His dad came out to California. They built a trailer and uh, fixed up a truck and did to work for the whole summer. And then they moved out. Last week, Brian ran the marathon, the Marine Corps marathon, and didn't change. Came straight into church wearing his uh, numbers. Came in and sat down. Said, can I have some coffee and grapes? <laughs> he ran 26.2 miles to the, to the door here. And his dad came in and his wife came in. And he said, uh, I want to say thank you that God has restored our family. And I thought it was a coincidence, but what an insult to God's direction. But last week we talked about forgiveness. Both Brian and his dad and his wife and his kids were all here. And God wants to restore. But don't get in God's way. He removes comfort. He, he's, he starts to reveal character flaws, and then he revives conviction. And our tendency is to deliver people, defend people, and deny. But it's the revealing of the truth that rescues people. Thank you for listening, and we hope you were helped by that message from Pastor Brad Wells. Reach out to us anytime at gracewaydc.com or visit us in person, Sundays at 11, Thursdays at 7. Until next time, this has been Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill, helping you make a difference. Music